Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. Welcome, audience. Today's a special episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Uh, we've had some recent events in terms of what goes on in the NDP, and you know we love to talk about what goes on inside the NDP. And this time, again, it's not good. So today I'm lucky to have with me my producer extraordinaire, Santiago Hulu Quintero. And he is going to uh, help run us through what exactly happened over in BC with the NDP and what that means, especially for eco-socialists in Canada, something Santiago considers himself. Welcome, Santiago. Uh, this is your second episode on this side of the mic. It's good to be back. Always love recording with you, Jessa. Yes, I, I get a text message over the weekend and it's just like, we've got to talk about this. So we held a Twitter <laughs> space. Quite a few people joined in and had a lot to say. We got a few great perspectives from British Columbia, from people who had worked on the campaign, and also folks that uh, gave us some insight into how labor played a role in what happened around the leadership race over in British Columbia. So... You think we should give people a rundown first so they know what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I'll kick it off with saying that unlike the intro to this episode, this is not what democracy looks like. To sum it up in a few short words, the BC NDP was holding their leadership race to replace uh, John Horgan, who stepped down. The race had two um, candidates. There was David Ebby. And uh, Anjali Apadore. Originally, it was just, it, it was pretty clear, I think, David Eby was just going to be anointed. Yeah. And then the grassroots really mobilized and was like, hell no, this is not going unchallenged. We are not going to just have Horgan in a different body um, with the same horrible neoliberal policies of, you know, destroying the environment. I know that's nothing to chuckle at. It's just the irony that this comes from the, the NDP. But yeah, so Anjali joined the race, I think spurred on by folks just shaking their heads going like, we can't let this happen. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning also in case some listeners may not be very familiar with the BC NDP. In BC politics... Um, the Liberal Party is essentially the Conservative Party and the NDP has taken over the role of the Liberal Party of BC, essentially. So this isn't exactly... No, because it is. I was going to be like, that's it's not the same as the NDP we think, but it, it also kind of is. It's just this is what the NDP becomes when actually elected into power with the kind of people who are running the show right now. No, Santiago, you make a good point there, because I think that's why, you know, we'll, we'll continue to explain what kind of happened over there. But Santiago's right. That's that's how people feel about this right now. And it calls into question, you know, why you put in this hard work when if we're looking to the Horgan regime, if even when you win, you still have to spend so much energy lobbying them to do the right thing and seeing your hard work pay off in the form of neoliberal policies. 
you know, we always say, oh, we do this and this and this so we can't win. But when we win, the BC and EPR are a horrible example of that, that not really paying off. Not in the ways we imagine, I think, or you and I, at least, are certainly eco-socialists. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the BCNDP has been a disaster, right? I know this doesn't always get the most coverage. And unless you're chronically on Twitter, like like myself, like me. yeah, um, I, you might not like have heard of what has been happening. But the BCNDP has been an absolute disaster for the environment, an absolute disaster. Um, and it, it's, it's not just, you know, building pipelines, um, building pipelines through indigenous land, sending the RCMP into indigenous land. You know, it's it's also the old growth forests, which are immensely valuable, not just because, you know, it's not just, oh, old trees. We like old trees. You know, it's old growths are incredibly important parts of ecosystems. New growth forests do not provide the same biodiversity that old growth provides these trees are thousands of years old and when you cut them down it destroys the environment it destroys those ecosystems and this is something that is irreplaceable and the bc government has been knocking them down like that's no big deal they've completely ignored taking any substantial actions at all on climate i'd argue that they've almost been worse than like some of the liberal or conservative parties that we've seen. They've been absolute enemies of the environment. And given the year that we've seen in BC, and not just year, two years, three years, you know, we've seen over the past the heat dome and the fires. Yeah, fires. We've seen, I mean, all of the the marine life that that, uh, boiled to death, essentially, in BC, the fires the floods and mudslides and you know it's climate disaster after climate disaster in bc this isn't a future problem this is a current problem and the bc ndp does not care about that in the slightest or at least they've been paid not to care i guess i don't know but no well now that's a different story altogether we can get into that but i think what you're talking about there laid the groundwork for and Jolly's campaign. And a lot of people were feeling that way and so saw this as an opportunity to mount a challenge so that they could have a government in power that would do the right thing in terms of climate justice. Uh, I didn't get to the launch. I think my kids were giving me uh, trouble that evening, but they had a very successful campaign launch uh, for the Anjali's campaign over in BC. And they raised tens of thousands of dollars that first evening. And for folks who are kind of burnt out through political organizing or who are facing an anointment from the establishment, that is quite impressive, right? It was always known that this was going to be an uphill battle, not because it wasn't what people wanted, but because everyone involved understood that the establishment, and when I say that I'm talking about, you know, senior party officers, the premier, and the consultants that they pay, as well as certain um, segments of labor, needed 
a Horgan type regime to continue so that the old logging would continue so that the pipelines they promised would still be made and they would do whatever it took to stop them. And they, the folks that were running that grassroots campaign for Apadore, they understood what they were getting into. I know that because I spoke with them at the beginning. They absolutely understood the uphill battle, but still managed to get a lot of people, not only to donate that first night, but Santiago, we saw huge bragging numbers in terms of membership growth as well. So all those conditions you listed, plus Horgan just, in my mind, being a horrible two-faced leader, had dwindled their membership quite significantly. And this leadership rate changed that. I think it went down something like 300% or something. The membership had dropped significantly. Uh, it, it went down like before the BCNDP had a membership somewhere in the 40,000s and it went down to 11,000 over the course of Horgan's regime, um, showing that the actual members of the BCNDP were far from happy with what was going on. And along comes Anjali's campaign and that completely revives the optimism that is needed to have any sort of political movement. It revived that belief in something because people were tired of seeing the way that John Horgan's NDP governed. They were tired of seeing the destruction of their environment. They were tired of seeing the continuation of neoliberal policies. They wanted somebody who was actually progressive. And when Anjali came along and offered that to them, it was the perfect storm. And I mean, she signed up 25 days before the cutoff to sign up new members um, for the for the election. It sounds like every grassroots campaign I've ever been a part of. It's like a few weeks low and we're like, shit, we better do something <laughs> to stop them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh. I mean, still it very impressive. Came it came out of nowhere, right? Like it, 25 days that in politics is nothing nothing that's 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 two days in normal time you know like yeah especially knowing what they're going up against right like you're not it's not just um it's not going to go uncontested that is for sure so this really exciting leadership campaign is happening generating tons of membership new interest in the party renewed hope and they crush it all don't they santiago so in the middle of all of this Um, growth in the campaign, David Eby's campaign decides they are going to launch a complaint. They allege the Apadurai campaign was working too closely with Dogwood. Santiago, who is Dogwood again? So um, I'm going to be completely honest. I I had before this whole situation occurred i had no idea who dogwood was and so i'm still kind of learning about them but uh dogwood is a is a non-profit public interest group according to wikipedia i'm like you're reading (laughs) (laughs) i I totally am no what what they do is that they advocate in bc they're a non-profit that advocates uh in favor well they advocate against projects that are destroying the environment right they were against the eng pipeline uh they they were against logging it's everything we've been talking about right their name dogwood i i found this out yesterday 
dogwood is a type of tree that's native to BC. <laughs> so that's where the name co- the name was super confusing to me at first. I'm like, what the hell is a dogwood? Yeah. So they're they're in a, they're essentially an environmentalist nonprofit, right? Um, whoa, I'll tell you, scary. I had a few people tell me I'm I'm now one of their agents because I was complaining about this whole situation in BC. So I I too apparently am getting grift money. Uh, from Dogwood or from Apatura's campaign? I'm not really sure who's paying who here, apparently, allegedly. But apparently a bunch of climate justice activists scared the living crap out of the BC NDP. Yeah, because definitely what a group with nefarious purpose, right? Environmentalist activists. Whoa, scary. They want to save the planet? Nah, burn it down. Like Extremists. <laughs> climate right, we'll the... extremists. Like, oh, come on. Spoiler alert. They actually get called that by a local steelworkers uh, union. Um, we'll get into that kind of resistance in, in a second, but let's let's finish the recap if we do, because people are wondering. OK, so we've got this awesome leadership campaign. Allegations come out that, oh, no, um, and Jolly's campaign might be trying to move green members over to the NDP. Apparently, that's a bad thing. Okay, uh, full disclosure, the rules do say you have to relinquish a former membership. So there were concerns there. Those concerns went so deep. And this part really bothered me when it happened. It didn't it didn't get a lot of uh, splash. But the BC NDP actually asked the BC Greens to release their membership list to a third party, as they would, so that the two could compare and make sure that there was no crossover. The BC Greens, you know, respecting membership privacy and all of that, basically told them to stuff it. So, I mean, I think that was one of the first blows for the BC NDP, just making it so obvious that they don't give a shit about their membership. Like, there's something they're protecting and they will steamroll anybody. Then uh, a campaign, uh, an investigation, an investigation was launched, an official one, <laughs> headed by somebody with deep, deep ties to big oil and gas, Elizabeth Cull. <laughs> So Literally Elizabeth, an oil lobbyist. Literally yeah, an, an oil, oil lobbyist. lobbyist is now going to investigate the climate justice activist campaign uh, for discrepancies. And basically her report comes out and it's, it's given to the provincial executive of the BCNDP. And it basically says I didn't trust her. So when I didn't have any evidence to prove yay or nay, I didn't like Anjali's response. So I had to go on the side of she was lying. If you read the report, that's a, it's very void of any kind of evidence. There's definitely nothing concrete. Either way, this report goes to the provincial executive. They vote on it. Uh, they start the vote by saying that uh, Angeli cannot speak on her behalf. She cannot defend herself, that they are going to only consider the report in front of them, written by an oil lobbyist, and they would then vote. They voted to disqualify her, which paved the way for David David Eby to just be anointed, I mean acclaimed, as the BC premier to replace John Horgan with with no contest. I want to make special note, too, that the funds that are required to run for leadership, not easy money to come by, even with good organizing, that money was actually due at like 5 p.m. And the meeting started at 6 p.m. on whether to disqualify. So that campaign had to front all that money knowing pretty much 
that they would be disqualified, but that they wouldn't even have a chance to allow the members a say. And that deserves a big asterisk because the executive are not a, a true representation of membership. That's who decided in the end that there would be no race. And that's where we are now. How did you feel? I mean, the writing was on the wall, I think, for a while once you knew what the establishment had determined they wanted. But when it finally came down, what was that like for you, Santiago? I know it upset you. Yeah, upset is putting it mildly. I I was furious. I mean, I wasn't surprised. That That's the thing, is that I did see this coming. We'd been hearing about the lead-up to this for days. I knew what was going to happen, but it still pissed me off. Because also... I've been through this before, you know. I remember during the, the Green Party leadership race a few years ago, you know, Dimitri gets expelled um, at the beginning of the race. He appeals, gets back in. Near the end of the race, Miriam Haddad gets expelled. She appeals, gets back in, you know. So in my mind also, like, I'm I'm used to, like, this happening and then getting reversed. And that was kind of where my brain jumped to was a bit of denial like okay we're gonna we're gonna turn this around there's gonna be an appeal process it's gonna be fine there's gonna be a chance no but that that's not what's happening here there's there's it's not gonna go anywhere and you know i want to i want to talk about you know a little bit more about what happened here because like i said 25 days right 25 days to plan something here during the 25 days I mean, we don't have a confirmed number, but we know that the membership at least doubled, if not tripled, what it was in BCNDP. That was overwhelmingly coming from people who were excited about Anjali's campaign. So she came out of nowhere with 25 days and scared the shit out of the NDP establishment because she out-organized them in less than a month. You know, she was going to win. That is where the signs are pointing. If this was led, if this was allowed to go to a democratic vote where people actually, you know, get to vote as opposed to anointed, which is what ended up happening. If it went to a vote, she was going to win. She out-organized them. She did the thing that we try to do, you know. As, as organizers, we're always trying to figure out how to do what she did. And she did it. And then... It got cut down like it was nothing. And that that hurts in a way I cannot articulate. I can't describe with words. Because what the hell are we left with at that point? You know? I think like, it hurts me when I hear folks say that. I think because we've seen all the stages now. And for me... The writing on the wall is so clear that electoral politics are really just not the avenue for socialists at the moment. You know, we can talk about a new party and that's a possibility. But within the realm that exists right now, even if her campaign had been successful, I don't agree with you that she would have won the vote because I don't trust the vote. I absolutely don't trust the establishment on any step of the matter. Not approving candidates, not running a clean race, not allowing a fair vote. And then if she won, I don't think you would have won in terms of your values and the things that you think would happen. Because it wasn't just the establishment that was working against her, was it? 
Mm. It was no. labor in BC, not, not just the steel workers. And we're going to talk about the letter that went out uh, that labeled her campaign full of extremists or all environmentalists, really extremists and advocated for old growth logging to continue and for David Eby to be the only way forward for that, for that particular matter. So I fear what have happened in power is she would have been marginalized. It would have been a smear campaign, again, something to bring her down, a withdrawal of support. I've heard, I can't confirm, that because of that dwindling membership and the, there's a, a heavy reliance on the funds that come from labor as well to run these elections and to run that party in BC. And so what would happen if those they withdrew their support and maybe that would have been worse. We would have seen like, this is what happens even when we get power. We work, we work hard. We show you how to organize. We did all the right things. We jumped through all the right hoops and still thwarted uh, within a system that's built to destroy us. I mean, I do, I do like to think when it comes to people who actually inspire that the money is there if it's needed like i think looking at you know the united states for a second progressives are able to raise incredible sums of money you know the bernie campaign as an example raised just an absurd amount of money right i think that if you have like if it's actually there if it's actually happening if you actually have a a chance that the people would come through that fundraising would be able to replace, you know, the funding that comes from from labor, from oil, you know. I think that that would cancel that out. And I do think, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I really do think she would have won. And I think that because this was a nuclear option, right? What they did in expelling her, that was, that's that damages the party. That damages their reputation. That damages this whole process. I mean, you look at the response and what it has been it's not been good for the bc ndp but they did that because they were <laughs> caught so off guard you know i mean they thought this was going to be an easy anointment process maybe you know somebody puts up a competition but they were confident in their own ability to handle that and then they just got swept yeah i think they thought they had beaten down membership enough and you know those low numbers are actually promising to them you know we talked about the loss of membership for the BCNDP under Horgan. And some folks may wonder, you know, why would you throw that all away with that kind of growth? Um, why would you possibly discourage all those folks from staying in the party with this kind of behavior? You know, why would they do that if, you know, they weren't breaking the rules? And I hate to keep referring back to past episodes. It's not just to pump up the audience, but I, we've laid the groundwork there. Uh, Matt Fodor in his book, too, from from Leighton to Singh, we'll reference that again, where clear decisions have been made by senior levels of the NDP to quote unquote streamline or professionalize the party. And what that really is, is to take away the rights and voice of members. Membership is dirty, messy, radical. Uh, they're always afraid of being painted socialists if the resolutions that we actually want make headlines. Um, and so 
there's been a deliberate restructuring of the party so that they don't need so many members. We see in Alberta that it's becoming normalized to pay canvassers. Like this is unheard of really in the NDP generally speaking. You normally have enough excited people for change that they will spend their free time going door to door and doing all the things that they need. But that is becoming harder to do with once we see what the NDP has actually done in power. So not only is it hard to do in Alberta, where Notley is not inspiring anybody, it's it was going to be hard to do in BC. They would have absolutely needed the unions to get their members out to do this work or start paying folks. And it's what we're seeing in all the other provinces too. But this is okay with senior management. They, they, they don't have an approach to fix this because this is ideal for them. Strong riding associations, strong eco-socialist membership will change them in ways they don't want to be changed. And so it's not a bad strategical move from their perspective. We're sitting here going, you're destroying the party. Like, why would you do this? Like, why would you have such bad press? Like, they risk this bad press. Even John Horgan gave up his last presser as premier to slam eco-socialists, essentially, to label them thugs. He called them thugs. <laughs> so they don't want you. Like if anybody's listening and they've got a paid membership, I'm sorry to tell you that they don't actually want you as a vocal member. They, they want your donations. They want your clicks. Don't, but they don't want you to speak up and they don't want you to change what they're doing. And, and that's where I think this resistance was. It wasn't to protect David. It was just to protect the way that they want to operate. Yeah, I, I think we should take a second to address the potential skeptics out there, you know, who might be saying, what? oh, skeptics, <laughs> did, you know, she do something to justify this? You know, was this a legitimate decision? Because I think it's very clear just how illegitimate this was. So the allegations being that. I mean, it starts off with the whole idea of like a Green Party takeover, right? That they're taking over for whatever nefarious purpose, the party, right? And then that she colluded with Dogwood to recruit members, right? And that based on that, she should be expelled from the leadership race. Okay. So let's take a moment to address what that means. One, it means like a real fear of environmentalists, but also it's a manipulation of what I know to be true around all of these elections. So, I mean, all right, you can't pay Dogwood to do this work and you can't sit down with them and make them part of the team, share your strategy and have them work as essentially part of your campaign. But it's absolutely normal for special interest groups, okay, to take a vested interest in all leadership campaigns that happen and all conventions that happen. And we'll we'll provide evidence of this later when we're talking about how this is normal for labor to do on a regular basis. So of course, um, we've seen it around the Palestinian movement, 
the amount of work that it took to finally get the NDP to take a decent position on Palestine took organizing around leadership races and conventions. That meant making sure people were members. Are you members? Then you be delegates. And this is normal for nonprofits to do who want to shape politics, not just wait for the ballot box. But the allegations were that there was more involvement than there should be. But let's be clear, there was no proof of that provided. And because the Greens wouldn't release their membership list, no proof was really provided that that happened en masse either. To add on to the issue, whatever chart, whatever idea they have of whatever Anjali could have been doing, their accusations against her apply directly to David Eby's campaign and their relationship with United Steelworkers. This has been, and this we do have some evidence about, right? There was, there was a letter that was circulated uh, to the memberships of United Steelworkers asking them to sign up to the BCNDP, you know, pay the $10, get a party membership so that they could vote. And they didn't really frame it as a vote for EB. They framed it as a vote against the environmental extremists to be direct in exactly what they said extreme climate activists i mean i'll say this this is a this is a quote from the the letter this candidate is an extreme climate activist and if elected could be detrimental to forest workers and other resource-based jobs right extreme climate activists i mean what a ridiculous concept so anyways they distributed this letter asking people they, they're saying you don't have to support the bcndp you don't have to be an ndp but it's in our best interest to get somebody other than this person. And there's only one option, David E.B., so go vote for David E.B., right? It reads like a bribe, though. I'm, I'm going to read from it, all right? There's two, there's two different letters. I've got the one-page one. First, they go on and they slam the environmentalists. But this is the line that really gets me. Helping E.B. gives us leverage with him after he's elected. Talk about self-serving, right? They know that if they're known to do this, if they send this letter around and E.B. knows they've sent this letter around and E.B. knows that they've helped him. What? He, has he already promised this or they're just assuming he's going to find it in his heart to work with them because they worked really hard for him? No, no, that sounds like an agreement's already been made, something he's not supposed to have done. And, it, and it's going to go, it goes on to say, they don't just say it doesn't matter if you don't agree with the NDP or not, which is really problematic. These could be white supremacist Nazis. Like, just because you're in a union doesn't actually make you progressive, right? Everybody knows that. Like, that's for all workers, regardless of your political stripes. And membership in certain workplaces is absolutely mandatory. So you're not in that union because you're progressive. But they're telling everybody reading that letter to sign up for the NDP. And in their letter, they say, we don't agree with everything the NDP does, especially on the old growth file. We completely disagree with how they've handled it, but we don't want to lose the premier position to an environmentalist. Like, like disclaimer, neither Santiago or I are anti-union. Okay, that's another label that I've got thrown around a few times for criticizing certain unions for their bad takes or, or whatnot. We're literally but, socialist. <laughs> we're quite literally socialists. And 
yeah, I'm going to call out, we're going to call out unions that call environmentalist extremists. But Santiago brought this up because for sure, this is exactly what the rules are supposed to prohibit. Let me just read one more line because let's let's be very clear in just how bad this is. We're not asking people to sign up and stay as NDP members. We believe by elect uh, we believe by electing EB and reducing the percentage of vote for the anti-logging candidate, we can push back on the green agenda. This is the shady stuff that they're freak that they should be freaking out about, right? This is no, we don't care about you know what's best for the NDP. We don't care about you know the the party, or we're not even we don't even necessarily like the party or are going to vote for them. We just want to destroy the green agenda, right? That is the conspiracy here. Oh, also. How to sign up for the party? You can sign up online at David Eby for B for BCNDP leader. Like it's not even like the regular sign up page. They want you to go through like BC uh, for through David Eby's page to get to the sign up. I mean, it's it's literally it's everything that they've accused Anjali's campaign of being, except it's right here and there's actually proof. And on top of that, we've got photos of David Eby posing with this particular local's leadership. He met with them. I can't tell you what he discussed, but he met with them. And this letter that we're talking about didn't happen in reaction to um, the momentum of the Apadurai campaign. This was early September. This was the first whiff he would have any challenge at all. All of a sudden, this local was ready to go with this two-page letter, at links to the website, information on how to join, and, and they were ready for a fight. And they're not the only... For me, this calls into suspect all the endorsements that he got earlier on. Why? Did you sit down with the Apadurai campaign before you launched this endorsement? Or was it a strictly anti-environmentalist movement against them? Or not just against them, but for EB, which is so damning. And I think it's, it's reason for any NDP member in BC to relinquish their membership immediately. And like, no, the, the answer isn't, well, I don't know your greens. Okay. I don't live in BC. I don't understand the green party or their values over there, but you know, the liberals and the conservatives obviously are never an option. I see a lot of folks going, Oh, I might as well vote liberal if you know, they're going to be liberals, but <sighs> liberals are conservatives now, right? <laughs> or always have been really. So, um, people that that also is not the answer i'm no not even remotely we, no if we don't we don't necessarily have the answer maybe that's not what we're here for today but but this letter that went out we'll go back to that because i'm not done with it so like folks brought this to the attention of the ndp and guess what santiago do you think they responded <laughs> yeah because that's what would happen in a fair system yeah to be fair elections bc hasn't responded either to my knowledge um not sure if anything's going to happen or whether we're just going to see him be anointed. And because unfortunately, like the latest article that came out uh, referenced uh, Anjali Apadurai's willingness to work with him. And I mean, she's stuck between a rock and a hard place, but that's a rock. You're going to be beating your head up against the wall there trying to work with that, with that kind of regime. But her choices are likely limited. So I'm in terms of getting uh, climate initiatives done in B.C., I don't I don't know what's going to come of this in terms of 
justice or a reversal of decision or anything. I mean, let's be clear. Like, it's not that we're angry. And I mean, I am a little angry at this letter, but it's not that this letter is the problem. It's the fact that what's happening here is exactly what they accused Anjali's campaign of. And they use that as justification to expel her, expel her right? That That's the issue. Like, this is expected. This this is what happens, you know. The steel workers are going to advocate in their interests. And Dogwood's going to advocate in their interests. And the Greens are going to advocate. Like, everyone's trying to move the needle in one way or the other, right? That's how politics works. I get that. But the fact that they, they use that as justification to expel Anjali and are not applying the rules equally in both sides and did not actually present any evidence. I mean, it was a freaking kangaroo court. It was built on the assumption of her guilt. There was, she was given no fair chance to speak, to contest the allegations against her. It was just wrapped up and done with and she's out. And this is, I mean, let's be clear about something. Like, we're talking about the party that is currently in power, right? This is essential. this decides the premier of a major province. You know, this isn't, this isn't like, okay, then the people will eventually get the chance to decide whether or not they want EB as their premier or not. No, no, he's just anointed immediately, you know? That's that's ridiculous. Like, just the process here, it's ridiculous. And that's what we're pissed off about. I feel that, Santiago. I feel like maybe, like, that's why it's hard for folks in Ontario who should maybe feel removed from this. But we live in a political environment where... A lot of us, you know, I am old enough to have been around during Bob Bray's reign, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but in general, and he's really a liberal, so I can safely say, you know, we've never seen a progressive NDP, how about that, in power. And so a lot of the work that we do around the NDP is kind of aspirational. Yeah. Because we're perpetually the opposition or worse like fourth party if we're talking federally and so it's always maybe just not so vested not so close to actual victory right and victory means getting the policies we need passed not just the people in power so i think santiago i'm such a pessimist at the moment right but i think you could feel how close that was to having an eco-socialist premier, not somebody to just be a voice in the legislature, not just an MP, you know, to, to rabble rouse when needed, but in a real position of power in a province where really big decisions need to be made in order to stop climate change, right? Uh, that is one of the key. And Alberta is another one. And I think knowing that we do hold potential for power in one and power in the other. And we are blowing it by becoming liberals or worse is so disheartening. So disheartening that it has us talking about forming a new party. And also, you know, I have this in the notes. You know, you say you're not mad about that letter or you are. You're like, I know you are, but I am really fucking mad because, and I think the Twitter spaces that we held that, a few folks were really good contributors in that discussion in where they helped highlight this 
point of contention, and I think this needs to be its own episode, between labor and the climate justice movement, where there shouldn't be. And Santiago, you had a really good perspective on this earlier. You know, I don't want to fault anybody's messaging because I hate critiquing activist tactics. We all have different tactics. We try things. We throw stuff at the wall. Not all of it sticks. But there's there's work to be done here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. So when when the issue of, of environmentalist versus labor comes up, I mean, it's such a fabricated uh, issue. It's such a fabricated confrontation because in reality – Right now, when it comes to oil, when it comes to natural resource, when it comes to logging, these are sectors where they're constantly losing employment, right? The number of people who are employed in this now versus the amount of people who were employed in it before, it's not the same. It's constantly going down. This is a dying industry. But in building a sustainable green economy, in building the green infrastructure that we need to save the planet, that is going to create far more jobs than could ever be created in, in, in this traditional industry. I mean, I forget, I'm going to be honest, I forget the exact numbers, but if I'm not mistaken, there was a prediction that it could create something like 4 million jobs in Canada. I remember reading that once. I mean, we're talking far and beyond what these industries create. So the idea that, that, labor has to be against environmentalism is just absurd and it's being manufactured by people like these oil lobbyists manufactured by people who have a vested interest in keeping these archaic industries alive for their own profiting and the actual workers aren't even profiting that much off of it i mean the average salary of this is is not particularly high these aren't people who are being paid particularly well if we're being completely honest here i mean there could be better jobs with higher wages and far more employment in a renewable green economy than could ever be had in these archaic industries it's time that that messaging is clear though because in a perfect world that letter condemning environmentalists and fighting to secure logging of old growth forests would have fell on folks that understood the difference, that would have been able to laugh at that and say, that's an unfounded fear. My job doesn't rest on the need to log old growth forests, right? But there's definitely a link missing because in BC right now, it's clear the environmentalists are not working with labor. Mm-hmm. That that should worry everybody. This this I think exposed this real hostility because not only did a union local send this, but it was received. You know, and then we saw other labor. Nobody condemning this letter. I've not seen really anybody openly condemning this letter, not with any fervor or not distancing themselves from it. And so that's a huge problem, especially to folks who need to see a lot, all of us who need to see a lot of movement on this climate justice. Uh, We can't get there without labor. That's critical. Unions are important. I feel like we have to keep saying this just because every time we're painted with that brush when we complain about a particular uh, organization, but unions are important to protect workers, but not, not they're detrimental when they're working in the planet's worst interest. That that's unredeemable, right? Like that is 
a huge obstacle in a just transition. Let's be very clear. When the forests are on fire, what are you going to log? You know, what, what, what exactly? Like, these jobs are going to be destroyed by climate change. Let's be absolutely clear about that. I mean, it, it, I feel like it's maddening to have to say these things, but let's just go over the past year. You know, major, all the major rivers in Europe were drying up. You had fires all over Europe. You had fires in China. The major rivers were drying up. You know, you have flooding in Pakistan that, that affected millions of people who had nothing to do with this. Who Pakistan is a country that contributes very, very little in emissions to the world. And yet the devastation in the flooding, you know, we, uh, you, you saw the hurricane that hit PEI and uh, Nova Scotia. Um, I mean, there is no shortage of examples that extreme weather events are becoming more common, that the dangers of climate change are no longer something of the future. They are, are present. They're a reality right now. They're happening. And that is going, the cost that comes from that, the jobs, the lives that are going to be destroyed from that outnumber exponentially any possible gains here. So th there, there is no... Meant there, 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 there shouldn't be a debate about this. There is no further option. And Canada is complicit in this. I mean, let's talk about Canada for a second, because Canada consistently is one of the highest top 10 polluting countries in the world. But that only measures what we actually pollute inside our borders. Canada is also one of the countries that export. I think we're top four or five uh, of countries that export oil. And that we're not exactly counting the emissions that are created by that oil when you put Canada in these lists. The amount that we contribute to climate change, we are one of the largest countries in terms of our contribution there. We do have a very large impact. And if we change, that will do something. We can't do everything alone, but we need to do something. Canada is complicit in the climate catastrophes. So this shouldn't be... A, a, a conversation of like whether or not we should be taking action no we have to take action that should be the assumption the starting place is we need to take action then from there we go on to how can we work with labor how can we make sure that people who are going to lose their jobs are taken care of that they're given new jobs that that we rebuild in a better way but the thing is the assumption should be we need to make a change these industries have to change. That There's no way around that. It is too late. Maybe we could have, 20 years ago, we could have done this in a slower uh, way. We could, we could have phased it out in a less like jarring way. We had time 20 years ago. We don't have time anymore. The time has run out. Sorry, I, I got really worked up there. Rightly so, Santiago. So let's say you're in BC and... There's a lot of folks that know what you're saying to be true. What what do they do now? Like, you know, we talk about electoral politics isn't the only avenue. But if we're talking about climate change, you absolutely need the government to do something. Right. And so if we're not talking about overthrowing the government and replacing it with a new system, because there ain't no replacements ready. Let me tell you, I don't want any of them in there right now. Not one of them. But let, let's let's narrow it down a little bit. You're in B.C. Let's. You're in BC right now, Santiago. You still hold your NDP membership. Maybe you were part of this campaign and you were excited. What do you do now? 
Where do you go? Listen, the answer to that has been the same answer for the last few years for me, which is I have nowhere to go. <laughs> you can uh, always come here to the studio. <laughs> I am, uh, like many who are eco-socialists, politically homeless. The NDP doesn't want me. The Greens, I thought for a while, for the record, I, I've, been, I've been part of the Greens, and I thought that the Greens maybe were an avenue. I was like, okay, it's not likely that we're going to win anything, but at least we can try. Nope, the Greens don't want us either. <laughs> the, you know, there's nowhere to go in electoralism. And I'm at a point where I don't really know what to do. Well, when one considers the level of urgency you talk about and we know exists, right? Um, there are ways to move your government without voting, without buying a party membership, without going to the convention floor or working on a leadership campaign. I think it lays in the fear, you know, and the power of numbers that we saw that, that should have been held in that campaign in BC. They had the numbers, but they were still just people in their homes. If those same numbers had surrounded the BC NDP office, <laughs> <laughs> it would have felt a lot different. Um, and that's where we're at. Well, that's where we're at. I mean, that's what the show is about too, right, Santiago? We sit here, we try to give people tools outside of electoral politics as much as possible because we recognize that there's no welcoming space for that work. But, you know, our friend Jay, uh, Jay Woodruff's been on the show a few times and he was on the Twitter space. And, you know, he brought up a question and it did cause a lot of people pause. He's asked me many times and we've gone back and forth. So, but if you look to the work that you do or that you love, do you find you're more effective inside or outside of electoral politics? Oh, easy. Outside. Yeah. I've even asked that question of former MPPs. And they've publicly, you know, it's not just some sort of inside scoop. We've publicly seen folks leave those partisan spaces. They got elected. They were in power and still came out telling us that is not the way forward. But still, we, not me, I've, I really like to say I'm emotionally detaching myself from electoral politics. but And even though I, I'm in your ear all the time, I see it in you still and a lot of close comrades where there's still a lot of hope tied into that system. And I would like to smash it out of you all in the most pleasant way possible. <laughs> because you're all getting hurt in those spaces, you're, you're getting hurt. You're getting smeared. You're getting attacked. You're spending money. You're spending time. I would rather you go play with your children, the local children, and teach them a better way, honestly, than continuing to get tied up in those circles, um, at least at the moment. You know, um, it's hard for me to say, oh, abandon electoral politics altogether. That's really not what I'm saying, because politicians, you know, I'm a political scientist. And the first lesson you learn, if it wasn't obvious to you already, is that they only act in their best interest for the most part, right? We, we, we gripe about them all the time, but that is like the common underlying factor. They want to get reelected. So they need to, what, to do what they think is popular. Now we know what's popular, right? We, in terms of like the Palestine movement, if you poll people, 
we know how people feel. We know how people feel about democracy and public health care, right? But we have to make them feel it, really feel it. Like they have to know there's no other way for them or for anybody else. And we don't. We kind of let them get away with, you know, we complain to each other here in this space. We complain to each other online. We we vote. But um, it always brings me back to that, you know, if the vote really changed anything, they wouldn't have given it to us. Yeah. Did you watch Don't Look Up, the movie? <laughs> yes, but I wish you hadn't. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly trapped in that movie, you know, because I feel like we should be shutting down everything. You know, I feel like we should occupy every railroad. We should shut down every oil rig. You know, we should like we know for a fact that the vast majority of Canadians rank climate as one of their most important issues. Every single time there's polling on this, it comes out. This is one of the most important issues to people. Right. And I look like people in elected power right now do not seem to be doing anything with that you know i mean we know why and i feel like we're at that point where we need to just shut everything out down but i don't exactly have faith that that's going to happen right now i think it's going to take a a few more fires but the thing is i do let, let me be clear there is an inevitable path here climate disasters are going to get so bad at some point that people will shut everything down that is just the inevitable future because unlike don't look up where everything gets wiped out in one meteor it's not going to be a one day process this is going to be getting worse and worse and eventually things will collapse we can either do that right now in in a way that's not as disruptive where we can actually you know move forward or Everything collapses, and that will be very bad for a lot of people as well, right? It's a tough one, Santiago. You know, I not a question that we can definitely answer in this space, but you're not alone, right? Like, anxiety around this issue is so real. It's one of the only issues next to war that I could imagine that leaves this kind of imprint of anxiety on so many people um, who are afraid of what's going to happen should nobody act, you know, and it's those people that I'm really thinking about, you know, and their reaction to what happened over in BC, because it is quite dark to not just see something so promising get snuffed out, but to see the level of resistance that comes from a side we thought was ours. That's what starts to like, I get really mad. I'm starting to get really sweaty, like, because that's what hurts. So I people like stay and fight. I get that. You can't ask that of people because nothing hurts more than having to fight your own. And I've said this before, I don't know if it's on air, but I will sit down and I will debate a conservative. I will not get worried at all because the right is on my side. I know this. I expect it. You know, I, it's okay to punch a Nazi. We kind of sit in that. <laughs> Damn right. 
But when it comes from within your own spaces, these kinds of attacks, this kind of resistance to what should be just given, given everything Santiago has just told us and that we've heard for so long, it's so damaging to your soul, to your motivation, to the amount of energy that you have to put forward. It's, that's what makes the situation in BC, I think, so upsetting. They weren't stopped by Ford or the Senate, right? They weren't, they weren't stopped by capitalists, Santiago. They were stopped by organized labor to a degree and their own party. And that's going to be new to some people. I wish it weren't. <laughs> if you've listened to my previous episodes, <laughs> This is normal. This is normal behavior for the party. The only party on the left right now, no communist party people don't come at me right now. You are not a viable solution. And you know why there's serious problems within all parties. But in reality, this is the only party that's supposed to be on the left. And it's home. Like you heard Santiago say, he feels like he has no political home. I have heard that phrase so many times. And it's the saddest thing. So I don't know. It really makes me determined to create a political home. And I've always, like, I've tried to do that in so many different spaces. But we absolutely need a vehicle for all of the socialists out there to feel at home, to make noise together. I don't know what that looks like if it's a political party or an organization. We've pointed to a lot of great people doing a lot of great work, but it's really fragmented right now. And it needs to be united or we are going to lose this class war. We are losing this class war right now and we are losing the goddamn planet. All because we essentially don't work together in ways that we need to. And what the BCNDP have done over there is, is, is continue to normalize that garbage of prioritizing their own short-term goals over the needs of the planet and all of its people. So I'm fucking done with them. I'm done with the NDP. Absolutely. There's no 100%. reforming them. They, I would final rather nail. burn it down. This was the final nail. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. I'm seeing a lot of, a, a, a lot of people who I know who have held on to, you know, the hope that they can do something within the NDP. This was kind of the fi final nail for them. Because let's be clear, Anjali did the thing that we all want to do. She out-organized them and got cut down by an undemocratic kangaroo court. What choice do we have left if we know that every single time, even if we do everything right, even if, if we overwhelmingly have support, even if everything goes in our favor, they can just be like, nope, bye. And that's how the party structured itself now, right? It's not like they've spent years and years anticipating that they would have to have this fight and, and the tools are all there. You know, we talked about the provincial executive or their ability to appoint just like an oil lobbyist to investigate. The fact that that can even happen within a democratic institution is proof the entire party's rotten to the core, that its structure is designed this way. And it, it, it is it is absolutely sad. I want to just side note there, though, that I've never met Anjalian. I know from what I've heard, uh, she is a great organizer, but let's be clear, there was a big team on the ground doing this work. 
because that really is like the NDP membership. What it is at its core is a whole bunch of great activists. And when they get together, they do really impressive things. But then they hit a wall um, time and time again. So I'd like to see all those great people that did work on that campaign that are feeling really frustrated to take that energy together and um, do something positive with it. And it's not for me to tell you to, to, even though I have, (laughs) tell you to leave that space. I think folks need to come to their own realization on where they're at. But it does hurt for me to see people going through what I've been through with so many comrades have been through and you don't want to say I told you so because you don't want people to go through it but you do that's why I share this a lot of folks come down on why we do inside the NDP episodes why we gripe about the only party on the left because that will just prop up the right and that's not true again it's a reminder we need to expose the power structures if we're going to change them So these episodes are just as much for the folks that still want to fight inside the NDP as those that have left it and are looking for something else. Because if you don't really understand what you're up against, you know, you're going to continue to be surprised by the campaigns in the BC NDP. And you really shouldn't be. At the very least, you should expect what you're getting into uh, so that you're up for the fight. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is how it goes, right? Every single time. And it hurts to see the kind of people that are fighting so hard. I mean, these are like, let's talk for a second because these are people who are incredibly empathetic, compassionate, who are selflessly putting so much of their time into something that a lot of them don't even like, it's not even for them. It's for other people. You know, this work is, is a love for the people and it's a love for everyone else. And, and these are people like so many, I mean, so many of my comrades who, and like myself included, like who struggle with anxiety, who, who, who struggle with depression and who are show up constantly to fight and to get constantly kicked down this way. It's, it's brutal. The, what the NDP does to people is brutal. It breaks them. The amount of times I've seen... The, burnout is so freaking common in these spaces because we're all constantly burning out from putting everything we have into something and getting shut down constantly, you know? Like, I know at the end of the day that I'm going to be all right, you know? I know that I, I, I'm okay. I have people who are supporting me. I am going to be okay. But you know what? A lot of people aren't. And that's the consequences that we're facing here. A hell of a lot of people are not going to be okay. Exactly. My advice is definitely not just hedged in what is strategically best in a political sense, but it's my form of mutual aid as well. I can't begin to tell you the amount of folks that I've sat down and counseled in a way just because I've been through the ringer so many times. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm immune to it. I can't. I can't really even get into the burnout and the depression that comes from it, Um, particularly for neurodivergent people where Mm -hmm. that kind of rejection from spaces important to us are devastating. So, you know, I really feel for anybody listening that was emotionally wrapped up in the possibilities that could have been in BC. Don't lose hope, folks. Again, there are ways to disrupt what you're seeing. You just need to find some like-minded people, keep creating the networks, 
and just keep plugging away as best as you can. Um, I hope that this show provides some tools for you to do that. And uh, we'd like to build a community around the show as well of activists so you can folks can lean on each other and share resources and knowledge. But um, again, my thoughts are with folks uh, with Anjali specifically and the people that worked on her campaign and folks like Santiago, the eco-socialists. I talk about you like a they. I'm not an eco-socialist. I'm just a socialist. I do care about the environment. I just have not adopted that label for whatever sense. Um, I can't explain it myself, but I feel the pain. I understand it. I guess I'm always here to, for folks to fight back with, but I just won't enter those spaces anymore. You know, folks are like, are you going to go to convention? Are you going to do this? And at this moment, I say, no way, I won't enter those spaces. They cannot hurt me here. Um, safely in the studio. <laughs> um, but I can't say that about some of my comrades that are still there. So that's why I still weigh in on these matters, if anybody's wondering, because they still matter to me. There'll always be... There'll always be something to do. There'll always be some way that we can fight back. That's, I feel like I need to say that because I feel like I've been very, I mean, obviously I've, I've been very emotional this episode because of everything that goes into this, because of all of the hope that's tied into this. And it's a collective, it's, it's, it's the, the, the continuous losses that have built up for the last few years, this kind of brought a lot of that back up for me. But there's always something we can do, and I'm nowhere near giving up hope. That's not an option. <laughs> Change is inevitable. Change will come. It will come. And we have to be ready to do everything we can to make sure that's the right kind of change. And maybe that's electoralism for some people. Maybe it's other avenues. There's a lot of great community organizing that can be done on the ground to help. There's so much that we can do. Just maybe not in the NDP is where I'm at right now. No, and I think, you know, um, you, you talk about being disheartened and we had a lot of people on the Twitter space and in my feed that kind of felt the way that you did, the way that you described it as the nail in the coffin and I do just want to shout out that the fact that on this issue, it was unusual in, we had a few MPs, Nikki Ashton, obviously we can count on to speak truth to power, even if it happens within her party, always. Thank you, Nikki. Uh, but Matthew Green made sure his discontent with the BCNDP and, and the procedures there, uh, I think he even called it bullshit on his Twitter feed. So uh, shout out to Matthew Green there, because that is an uncomfortable space to be in for them. Like, I know we demanded it all the time, but we know that there are repercussions for them when they speak, speak up. And there were a few, uh, at least one Ontario NDP MPP that I won't mention that that spoke up as well. And uh, some heavy hitters like Abby Lewis and Naomi Klein, who previously had shied away of being critical of the party. And <laughs> it's hard for me to see folks who, uh, maybe not Abby or, or Naomi specifically, but there's a lot of folks in BC that don't like the tactic of airing dirty laundry. Um, but I'm glad to see that they have adopted uh, publicly taking a stand because 
that's one thing that still drives me crazy within the NDP is how many people try to do what needs to be done in back rooms where they can just shush you away or hit your mute button. And it's just nothing happens in that party unless you push them publicly. So if you are saying, please get out of the dark, I was really encouraged to see folks uh, that, that have so much sway in the party to publicly say that this is wrong. Because back when we were trying to say John Horgan was a piece of shit for raiding uh, indigenous lands and signing petitions with hundreds of BC uh, NDP members from across the country, Jagmeet Singh and his team decided they would instead parade him out at convention and give him a feature spot to speak to us. And um, I hope they know that that garbage just won't fly anymore. At the very least, um, maybe this has awakened the party to know that the membership has drawn a line in the sand and there's certain things that they will take and they will not take anymore. We can hope though, right, Santiago? But I think... We gotta. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on here though to talk about this because I was raging myself. It was helpful to have the Twitter space and, and I like to open up those spaces when I know a lot of people have stuff to get off their chest. Um, but it was nice to have this kind of back and forth with you uh on a topic like this um, so and I, I do it hmm. i do i always enjoy working with you even if we tend to get each other very emotional sometimes but <laughs> i think that's a good thing yeah i'm i mean i i this is so necessary and i'm so happy to get to you know do this and talk about these things and there's so much more that like there's so much i feel like that hasn't been said as well there's so much to this, but I think it's just the important, I think the most important takeaway about this is how this affects the people who are trying to do the work. And I think that that, that was captured here today, you know, and, and those are the consequences of these decisions, right? Because at the end of the day, the people who are putting in the work here are also, they're, they're people, right? Who suffer with every single loss and every single defeat trying to find a way to keep the hope alive that that's the struggle and that's what's important you know and i think that that's what we that's the whole purpose of this is to of this show is to explore different ways that we can keep fighting and keep trying even when everything is stacked against us because everything is stacked against us all of the forces of power are stacked against us navigating that it's not a clear thing and that's and that's what we're trying to do here is try and figure out you know what are the ways that we can try and make a difference you're exactly right and I, there are so many issues that we raised in this episode that need to be explored further so i anticipate the audience will be hearing from santiago a lot more and that we will dedicate uh, more time to diving into the different issues raised as we talk about this very not isolated experience in British Columbia. Yeah, nothing about this was new. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, but it, it's going to feel like that to a lot of people um, that I just one thing I do imagine, I know we're trying to sign off, but I do imagine the folks that weren't involved in politics that got excited about Anjali's campaign and that is like the whole idea, I, I believe, and the answer behind 
growing a real progressive party is appealing to people who have completely disengaged. So imagine you're one of those people and you signed up for the NDP and then you get a call by an investigator who is quizzing you on your motivations and is immediately treating you with mistrust. I imagine you've lost a lot of people and put a put a really bad taste of electoral politics in their mouth right from the onset. And one part of me is like feels for those people because they were excited and, and now, you know, treat politics with the sus it deserves. But I'm also glad that they found out right at the beginning just how dirty that world is. <laughs> so at least if they're going in, they've got their shield on now. Or they can just cut and bail and go back to the environmentalist movement where they were probably making a lot more headway and were probably a lot happier. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, lots more to explore and a lot more discussions to happen on Blueprints for sure. Like in all things that we do, there's a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption.